0: So when we first learn of these offerings, we understand that these offerings are, are for any Israelite. So we, if we were to look back in chapter 1, verse 2, or look back in chapter 4, verse 2, it begins with, tell the Israelite." So that's who's in view here. Chapters 6 and 7, we're seeking to understand the role of the priest. So two weeks ago, we took a brief look at the offerings, uh, what they uh, symbolized, and how Christ uh, served as the only fulfillment for these offerings. This week, we're going to look at the role of the priests in the handling of these often offerings. Our text in chapter 6, verse 8-9 and begins with, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons. So a couple of things about the priestly role in the ancient Near East. They were viewed as the keeper of the gods, little g gods. Idols were either a god who could take on, they were either a god or they could take on the form of a god. They would clean these gods, they would give them food, they would make them look real, they would paint them, they would give them wine, they would cite incantations, and any of you who've been even overseas today have probably seen some similar celebrations, like one trip to India. And uh, they were saw just a lot of activity that's going on. We naturally asked what was happening, and they said these uh, these priests were taking the gods out to the people, and lots of shouting, lots of throwing dust, lots of uh, th- lots of stuff that was happening that made really no sense whatsoever. But what to do? What do the each of these offerings teach us about the worship of God? <clears throat> and so I want to briefly go through these five offerings and attempt from these sections here to, to help us understand what these offerings are teaching us about the worship of God. So it's not, just, uh, it's not just emptiness that's being thrown out. There's not just a bunch of things that God's telling them to do to try to uh, help them to make better use of their time. There's reasons for this. So you have the burnt offering in chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. The frequency of this offering, this was considered to be a daily sacrifice. So on most days, other offerings were offered until the evening burnt offering. Following this, the fire would go out. So the burnt offering was a, a, was a sacrifice that was being offered every day. Some instructions and warnings for this one is the fire was to never go out. It's mentioned five times that the job of the priest is to make sure the fire remains lit. This sacrifice was considered as most holy. Why would he change clothes? Because the priestly garments were reserved for the sanctuary. And it's important to know that the holy and common things not get confused. The handling of this offering underscores this. So what's the burnt offering trying to accomplish for the priest? To be faithful or to be holy in their duties so that the worship of God is uninterrupted. So keep the fire lit. Be faithful or be holy in your duties um, in keeping the fire lit so that the worship of God is not interrupted. Further, the fire had to remain lit to serve as this reminder, which would be a daily one for the Israelites and the priests for their constant need for an atonement. It served as that kind of reminder every day We need to be right with God. And what God's prescribed for us to be right with him is through offering these daily sacrifices. So that's the burnt offering, the grain offering in chapter six, verses 14 through 23, which could also be called the cereal offering. The priests could eat this offering so long as they ate it in a holy place. Something of note is the priests were never allowed to eat the offerings that they brought. They could only eat the ones that were offered by... They could only eat of the portions that were brought by the people. The grain offering is most holy. It's eaten by holy people in a holy place. Sometimes this, was, uh, this offering here was at the inauguration of the priesthood. We'll learn more about that um, in chapters 8, 9, and 10. The frequency of this offering, was it too, was a daily sacrifice. It was considered a permanent ordinance. And the instructions and warnings here were every grain offering of the priest is supposed to be burned entirely. It shouldn't be eaten. Well, what is the handling of this grain offering underscore? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27 and following answers it in this way. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Winham points out that the Levitical law stands as a reminder that though complete forgiveness is provided to us as Christians, we still need to daily claim that. The sin offering, which could also be called the purification offering. This is chapter 6, verses 24 through 23. This is eaten by holy people in a holy place because the blood is holy. This was offered after certain festivals or uh, was offered if somebody had sinned. This is not to be understood as the... um, sacrifice for atonement, but rather it's for the cleansing of the tabernacle of sin's filth. The guilt offering, chapter seven, one through ten, sometimes called the reparation offering. This answers how this offering was to be offered. Priests also received from the burnt offering and the grain offering, and this was the the frequency of this offering was mandatory after certain sins. And then lastly Chapter seven, verses eleven through thirty-six, the peace offering. This was the only offering laymen were allowed to consume. It could be offered in a way of thanksgiving, in response to God's favor toward the offer. It could be offered as a vow, an offering in fulfillment of a vow, or as a free will offering, when there's no specific obligation to make an offering. This offering, too, is to be given in verse 30. The breast is to be offered as a dedication offering to the Lord, and the leg is to be offered as a contribution offering to the Lord. And this too, the frequency of it, was generally an optional sacrifice. That's a lot, a whole lot that's going on. A whole lot that's going on. And so you can see how complicated this process is in the sacrificial system. So what can we learn about worshiping the holy God from Leviticus? I mean, admittedly, all of us in here, and here we're probably struggling trying to keep up with the details that I just provided. So what can we learn about the about worshiping the holy God from Leviticus? Several things. One is sin is a complicated matter. Sin is a complicated matter. God instituted those sacrifices not for the removal of sin, but for the reminder of sin. Just think about it. Every day those were being offered was a reminder of them that they needed their sin to be atoned for. And we know from the New Testament that it's not the blood of animals and goats that actually removed sin. We know that the removal of sin came through the offering uh, of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Secondly, the methods matter what the priest would touch, how he would handle the offering, when he would change his clothes, what he could eat, what he had to burn, what could be distributed to others. All of these things, they mattered. They mattered to God. An observation from the priest's handling of the sacrifice is the precision through which God works. God is not indifferent. God is exact. He works with precision. God is precise in the details So that through our sin offering, Jesus Christ, we can can now worship him in freedom. I mean, think about the freedom that we have in being able to gather here on a Sunday and not have to go through this ritual process. We, as pastors, um, the more that we get to know one another, the more that we uh, take advantage and uh, and get lots of laughs of just poking fun of one another. And uh, one of those people, he's not in here right now, so I'll, 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 he's, he's be easy target to stab. And that's Brian. That dude's constantly leaving his uh, phone or his keys or his wallet somewhere. It's a good thing to know that the scapegoat for each week's worship doesn't depend on Pastor Brian bringing that thing in every single week. So you can imagine getting a text from him like, guys, I lost the scapegoat. I, I, I'm not sure where it's like. How do you lose our offering of atonement on this week? But we don't have to, we don't have to depend on any of these things when we, when we gather because of the one who has been offered that satisfied the wrath of God. Third, we give utmost attention to what God requires and we pay little to no attention to our own preferences. Your preference or our preference in the worship of God matters to the degree, extent, and practice that it's biblical. God's preference is what matters. I want to say that again. Our preference in the worship of God matters to the degree, extent, and practice that it is biblical. Well, I wish we worshiped this way. or I wish... Uh, we worship that way. It doesn't matter to God. It shouldn't matter to us. Priests were the ones who governed these things. Hebrews 12 holds out, therefore since, we have, since, therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Fourth, generally speaking, what God says matters. 37 instances in Leviticus where we hear the Lord spoke to Moses. In 24 of these 37 instances, he follows it up with one of these words, speak to, say, command. Why am I illustrating this point? Because what God says matters. Even the pattern which He speaks. God spoke to Moses, and in speaking to Moses, He's commanding him on what He has to say to Aaron, to His sons, and to the Israelites. All of this matters. With all the present day deities, especially them recently coming out of Egypt, where where Pharaoh both believed and set himself up as a God. God was showing that he alone is God and the humans he uses are just as much in need of him as the Israelites. The priesthood of the believer holds out that we no longer require an ordinary human priest who would need to atone for, uh, who also needs to atone for his own sins because we have Jesus, the greater and perfect high priest who has atoned for our sins and is now interceding for us. So an application from last week's sermon in Romans 8. By all means, we should pray to God. And as you do, relish in the wonderful reality that you are not praying in isolation. These are not just your words that are being offered. Rather, it's your advocate, your sin offering, your perfect representative is also praying to our Father on our behalf. Words are being used to pray for us. Even better, the logos, the word who is the one or the one who is our perfect and only human representative before our Father is the one that's speaking to the Father. Fifth, God is nothing like any, of, like any of the other gods. Every other God is a created object. If this God has life and breath, it too will die. If this God is created, is a created object, it's true that what Psalm 14 says, he has ears but he cannot hear, a mouth but he cannot speak with these gods You are in control of what you worship, who you worship, and when you worship. The God of the Bible is nothing like this, and therefore we are not in the center, nor are we in control of what we worship, because the living God can be offended, but he was neither created nor made. Through the foreshadowing of the Old Testament sacrificial system and the fulfillment of Christ's atonement, he demands and demonstrates why he alone requires and deserves the worship that Christ had enabled us to give to him. Sixth, God is after worship. And one of these requirements is our holiness. The construction of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was the only way for them to be holy before God. And I think we have to admit that sometimes it sounds just too simple to say And Jesus fulfilled all that God, the law, and the sacrificial system demanded. It sounds simplistic. And I think in part, the complexity and frequency of the sacrificial system was to show us the impossibility of being holy before a holy God through any means, merit, or effort of our own. We have one way. We get one shot. And it's through one person. I also want to do something, too, that uh, connects the senses with the offering that is being offered. In several of the offerings, you, the phrase it's attached to is, it was, it was a sweet smell or a soothing aroma to the Lord. That's what the prayers of the saints are like, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Several years ago, I was in Botswana, Africa, and I think this was my second or third Uh, trip there. In fact, um, Botswana, Africa was the country prior to the start of Grace that April and I considered going and serving there. And so uh, we knew a couple missionaries that are there. They wrote up a job description um, with us on it, and it was during the candidate conference that we were at. So we went up for the interviews and all that stuff, and it was during that, that time that we received Uh, an email from Jordan uh, talking about the possibility of of planting this church. So we've got that going on. And a funny little side bit with that, while we were there in Richmond, Virginia, we knew kind of the area. Um, Like I said, we had the job description with our name on it. But we thought, while we're here, why don't we just take advantage and start praying through maybe some other areas? We'll look at various job descriptions. Perhaps the Lord would uh, incline our heart to another area. So we saw one in West Africa, and uh, April and I said, well, let's just go talk to the representatives there. So we sit down, talk with them, and the lady said, well, this context is a bit unique, and the reason it's a bit unique is because uh, the men sit under the tree and drink teas, and uh, the ladies are the ones that are out in the field, uh, working the field. And I said, that's it, man. I, I've heard from the Lord. This is where we're going. And uh, April stopped that conversation right there. She said, no. Nah. We we are uh, we are we are not going. So imagine I could be I could be sitting up under tea up, up under a tree right now, <laughs> sipping on some nice tea, and April working that working those fields over. But nevertheless, we're here. Um, <clears throat> so in this time in in Africa, uh, I got to go to a a, a place a village called Kokong, and um, I'd heard about it from a missionary. He had traveled there some and was doing some teaching in this context. And uh, we, we actually prayed for a while um, about being located in this particular village. So no running water, no um, electricity. And we showed a film that night and the only way we could show that film is by hooking the projector up to the car battery um, that we took in order to be able to, to, be able to show that. And uh, the first, uh, first night we were there, they had a huge fire, and they had slaughtered an ox. And uh, it was just because of, it was because of our visit. And so we're sitting there. Um, I'm not really sh- It was just really dark out there. I wasn't really sure at the time what I was eating, what I was sitting on. Uh, I just knew that it was a little bit grisly, a whole lot of salt. And it's like this is either going to be one of the greatest experiences of, in the world or I, I'll die tomorrow. And just uh, thinking back, the, the sights and the sounds and the smells. And even several years later, on certain nights, looking up at the stars, or um, if I hear uh, the sizzle uh, on a grill or certain smells will immediately take me back in that moment. Immediately take me back in that kind of moment. So imagine what it was like for the Israelites to hear wood being stacked, fire being lit, fat being put on the offering, listening to the sizzle, smelling, consuming some of that as these reminders of their sin. They weren't partaking of these so that they could enjoy a good meal. They were doing this because they were Sinful, and several times God picks this language up, uses this language. It was a soothing aroma to the Lord. Those are the things that he 's after. Each of these offerings were considered a smoothing aroma to the Lord. It means that God experienced comfort, pleasure. He was, he was pleased. Why is this so important? Why is it crucial? Because God is holy, God is also just and he's wrath. There is hostility within God that is stirred up by our sin. Yet these sacrifices pleased the Lord. He considered them to be a soothing aroma. Now we hear later on in Leviticus 26 the negative aspect of that when he says, I will lay waste your cities as well and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your soothing aromas. You go through the whole process. And your sacrifices will not be a soothing aroma to me. Yet 2 Corinthians 4, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we, listen to this, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for such things? So you see how the New Testament picks this language up. We are now fragrance of Christ to God the Father. So you see the Old Testament picture. It was a soothing aroma to the nostrils of God. And now as holy ones, his saints are considered to be the fragrance of Christ to God. Think about how powerful this aroma would be to the Israelites and the priests. As I mentioned earlier, the stoke of the fire, the placement of the wood, the placement of the meat upon the wood, the burning of the fat, a pleasing aroma to the Lord is a powerful reminder to the people for what God does to their sin, and now it serves as a powerful reminder to us to be the fragrance of Christ. Victor Hamilton uh, has a helpful book, Handbook on the Pentateuch, and he helped put into words uh, some ways that I was trying to organize. As I was reading through, I was trying to organize some things. When I read through his handbook, it's like, okay, he's, he's, he's capturing in a more succinct and helpful way what's circling in my mind. He offered these common elements about um, among the sacrifices. The worshiper brings a gift. They never come before the Lord empty-handed. So that song that we sing, nothing uh, in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling, that song wouldn't have found its way in the days of Leviticus. They didn't think about worship apart from having something in their hands. They, they were bringing an offering to the Lord, whether it was an animal or whether it was grain. The gift is an offering, which translated can mean a thing brought near. The sacrificers are thus concerned with the issue of how can somebody, how can one live in nearness to God? The description of the gift. It is in almost every situation, a domesticated animal, a bull, a goat, or sheep, the offering of grain seems to range on one's financial resources, yet it is that which is most costly, most valuable that is given to God. And what's given to God must be an animal that is without blemish. Sin costs something. Rome, or, uh, Leviticus chapter 7, verse 30, his own hand shall bring the Lord's food offering. Several texts here that speak about the necessity of having clean hands and a pure heart before the Lord. It's picked up in the New Testament in James chapter 4. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So these are some things that we learn about this sacrificial system. So how can we summarize chapters 1 through 7? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, P- Pastor Jordan, um, I think no shortage of two or three times, um, in a in a in a bit of a braggadocious way, uh, was talking about how he had assigned himself Leviticus chapter 16. He gets to preach the uh, the day of the atonement. He's he was pretty happy about that. Um, and so uh, because of that, I, I just I'm still a little bit of a thunder. So take a little bit of that. Um, and uh, still a little bit of the thunder. Um, and, but in all reality, it's really, uh, it, it, it's really not, it, it, it's, it's helping us see. It's, it's stacking the wood for the offering. If we don't understand what's going on in chapters 1 through 7, we're not going to understand the, uh, the atonement. If we don't understand what's responsible from the people, uh, what the priests have to do, what the benefit of all of these offerings, we're not going to understand the perfect work of Christ. So, This sacrificial system demonstrates, this is, is, regardless of anything that I've shared so far, is going to be any bit of a helpful takeaway. I do hope you leave with this right here. This is summing up the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And that's this question, or not really this question, this reality. It demonstrates that Israelites and priests have a need. The Israelites and the priests have a need. They need a representative. The representative would be the priest who would select, examine, and he would function as the mediator between God and the Israelites. They needed a substitute. They would select animals. The requirement was to be unblemished. It would be designated male or female. Or it could be a grain offering. What did they need? They needed an offering that would satisfy the requirements. The order must be followed. The sprinkling of the blood, the, pour, the pouring of blood, the consuming the offering. What parts of it do you burn? What parts of it do you distribute? What parts of it can you consume? It would pay for, cover, remove, satisfy. They also needed redemption. The Israelites and the priests needed redemption. All of this must be heard, observed, and executed in the manner prescribed by God so that the sins that the Israelites and the priests committed before God would be paid for. So in other words, it was the only way for them to be brought near to God. That's what the Israelites and priests need. What do we need? We need a representative. And he's Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. We need a representative, and that representative's Christ. We also need a substitute. Who is this substitute? It's Jesus Christ. He was selected. He was identified by God. He was pointed out by John the Baptist in John chapter 129. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In this act, this is where we get our understanding the doctrinal term of the imputed righteousness of Christ. He gets our sin, we get his righteousness. We receive the righteousness of Christ. We don't become righteous. We get better righteousness than us becoming. We get the righteousness of Christ, his imputed righteousness. What do we need? We need an offering that's gonna satisfy God's just wrath toward us, the sinner. We're no different than the Israelites. We're no different than the priests. Who's Who's that offering that would satisfy the wrath of God? It's Jesus Christ. God was pleased that Jesus is the offering. His body was crushed, his blood spilled, he was crucified, he was crushed, he was killed. He died as our sin offering to God. This is where we get our understanding of expiation, our sins being covered by his blood, thus removing our guilt and penalty before a holy God. This is also where we get our understanding of propitiation, where God's holy and just wrath is satisfied by the offering of, the, of Christ as the lamb slain. It's also where we understand reconciliation. We, the enemy of God, Joined to him through Jesus Christ and now made as a co-heir. 2 Corinthians 5 says all of that in this way. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors from Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him Jesus Christ alone satisfies God all all of what God was requiring what do we need we need redemption through whom do we receive this redemption through Jesus Christ had he not risen from the dead there would be no redemption his offering would have been rendered useless it would have been rendered ineffective it would have been impotent but rather first peter 1 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of christ for he was for he who was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, through or who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So through the offering of Christ, we can now have salvation, where we are justified and sanctified. We're justified. We are declared right before a holy God. That's now our position before him. And we are... (laughs) sanctified, where we have the wonderful joy to now pursue holiness. So we're declared holy so that we will then pursue holiness, which is what Leviticus holds out, the holiness of God, the holiness of the Lord's people. So the sacrificial system, its, its language is, is picked up in the New Testament in a, in a lot of ways, but I'll mention these two. One, First Peter says, uh, first, or, or Peter holds out a command in First Peter. Be holy because the Lord is holy. And then the second one is from Romans chapter 12, verse uh, 1 and 2, presenting your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And a seminary professor in teaching that, he said the problem with living sacrifices today is they keep crawling off the altar. We're to be holy as the Lord is holy. Presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So to go all the way back to what uh, the, the, the purpose and meaning for Leviticus is to illustrate this, that Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, this is how God is graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in his holy presence. For them, the sacrificial system that would point to us and all others that this is can only be be filled and be fulfilled in one person and that person is Jesus Christ all right well let me pray and then I'm gonna pray and then follow or following the prayer um if um yeah if 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 you've prayed and uh feel um able to take of the Lord's Supper in a a worthy manner to remember uh, the Lord and his death and the work of Christ, then we would encourage you uh, to join us. We'll small in number tonight, um, but we'll still gather up in a few small groups, and then um, one person offer that prayer, and then at the conclusion of that prayer, uh, that will dismiss us, okay? So we'll pray, and then uh, you can partake. Father, we do thank you we thank you for this wonderful book and we, we do ask, we humbly ask your help. Help us to understand its content. But more than that, help us to understand you. Help us to worship you. And help us to uh, grow in knowledge of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.